Greetings, and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this show explores the intersection of security, technology, and society, and thinks about what might be coming next. Every Monday, there's a news and analysis episode that condenses 5 to 20 hours of reading and analysis into a 15-minute summary, as well as regular essays, interviews, and book reviews that cover specific topics. The goal is to give you a concise, curated update on the most interesting things happening in the world, and to explore ideas that give you something to think about and prepare you for what's coming next. All right, welcome to episode 273. Starting off with security news, the director of U.S. National Intelligence released his report looking at influences in the 2020 election. It found that Putin directly authorized influence operations designed to keep the previous president in office, and that both Russia and Iran attempted to undermine overall confidence in the election process. The report also said China considered running similar operations, but decided against it. Finland says the hack against their parliament was from Chinese APT31. The FCC is looking to strip three Chinese telecom firms of their U.S. operating licenses for failing to adequately explain their ties to the Chinese government. This comes as a follow-up to a U.S. policy of evaluating all Chinese companies for ties to government due to their new policy of merging civilian and military efforts. So basically, China came out and said to the country, essentially as a matter of policy, that we need to merge civilian efforts with military efforts. So we're all pulling in the same direction. And the U.S. and the rest of the world basically said, holy crap, if I'm doing any business with Chinese companies, we need to assess this and and figure out the risks there. So now we're doing evaluations of all of them. And if we see too many ties to the government, we basically break contact. And the FBI says over $4.2 billion were lost to cybercrime in 2020. DuckDuckGo called out Google a few months back to show what all data they were collecting in Chrome and other apps, and Google finally released their report on this, and the amount of data seems pretty extensive. But still, good on Google for actually publishing this report. The critical F5 Big IP flaw from last week is now being actively scanned for and exploited, and there is code available, so definitely check that out if it applies to you. A U.S.-based surveillance contractor called Ulysses says it can identify the current location of any vehicle in most countries other than Cuba and North Korea. This ability is evidently tied to the data capture capabilities of another company called Autonmo out of Israel, which collects telemetry for 16 OEM car manufacturers, over 40 million vehicles, and sees 4.3 billion data points per day. And those numbers came from a pitch deck, actually, an investor deck for the company itself. And my question is, okay, you can tell me where the vehicle is, but I assume there's some other effort that is correlating that to the person, because it seems like the person is far more interesting than the vehicle itself. Security researcher David Buchanan found a way to hide MP3 and zip files inside of PNG images on Twitter using steganography. There's a critical vuln in MyBB forum, which I assume is PHP. Flaws in the WP Supercache and Elementor 
WordPress plugins are affecting over 7 million websites. Cisco has released updates for an RCE in its small business routers. Security Scorecard has raised $180 million in a Series E. Vulcan Cyber has raised $21 million Series B for its vulnerability remediation platform. Coalition, a cybersecurity insurance company, raises $175 million at a $1.7 billion valuation. And HD Moore, a friend of the InfoSec community, has raised $5 million in funding for his Rumble asset management software, which is pretty cool stuff. It's basically a continuous scanner for internal networks, and it tells you operating system and like tons of other data about it. And he continues to expand it. I've been using it since uh, very early beta, and it's uh, it's really cool stuff. You should check it out. Technology news: Chinese tech companies are getting pressured by government regulators, and it's causing them to lose value in the market. So they shut down the Ant IPO a while back, which uh, was run by Jack Ma, who they basically forced into retirement after disappearing him for three months and he suddenly reappeared. But it appears the Chinese government is growing concerned about how powerful these companies are becoming. So they're exerting control via anti-monopoly and competition regulations, basically. And the market is watching that and saying, okay, we need to value these companies less because they're essentially arms of the government and therefore won't have complete freedom to make profits. Nokia is cutting 10,000 jobs worldwide. Squarespace has raised $300 million at a $10 billion valuation. And Torch.ai has raised $30 million to consume data from any source and use AI to provide data insights. Really interesting, both of these, Torch.ai, Squarespace. I'm also thinking of Palantir as well. The lesson here is not the tech itself. It's the fact that the tech is making the tech usable for regular people. So Squarespace, okay, it's a blogging platform. How long have we had blogging software? Forever. Torch.ai, okay, it's using AI to find insights. How long have we had AI? Long time. Not as long as blogging, but still a long time. When you look at Palantir, again, AI. What are these companies doing? What they're doing is they're taking a really cool tech, blogging or AI or whatever, and they're making it usable for large numbers of companies or users. And that seems to be a really powerful story. I, I think it's not just the tech, it's the ability to bring the tech to the people who need it. So it seems like companies who do that well might be set up to thrive. Human news. A new study identifies the loss of a substance in the brain called myelin as a major factor for age-related cognitive decline. And people are describing myelin as a fatty insulation that protects the wiring of the brain. I'm sure it's a thousand times more complex than that. But a way a lot of these papers describe it is sort of insulation that uh, keeps keeps the wiring safe. And when it goes away, it's kind of like having no cartilage around a bone, except for, for neurons. 
Trust in U.S. media has hit a new low, with fewer than half of Americans trusting traditional media. I don't know about you, but if I were, say, Russia or China, this would be one of my primary metrics for um, achieving goals. Half of U.S. men who identify as Republicans say they have no plans to get the COVID vaccine. And a record 63% of Americans say China is a critical threat to the U.S. Content, ideas, and analysis. Look and feel matters more than ever for content creators. This is a new members-only post on my thoughts around designing experience becoming a primary filter for consumers. Again, this one is for members, but uh, you should probably sign up anyway. It's only 59 bucks a year. And you get every single newsletter if you sign up. And also you get uh, member-only content like this. And next idea here, more on the COVID lab leak theory. So MIT Technology Review, interesting that it's such a prestigious outfit there, has a new article out about how the lab leak theory is refusing to die, which I think is for good reason. The way I look at this is from the perspective of politics. This is how I often look at contentious sort of topics like this. Which narrative is extremely unpopular right now with mainstream media because of this um, anti-China sort of vibe? Basically, a lab leak theory that implies China as a cause. That is deeply unpopular. And to me, when there are significant numbers of experts saying something, and they're being, you know, highly squelched, I tend to amplify the likelihood of them being right in my own mind. This doesn't mean they are right. It just means they're more likely to be right than is implied by their theory's level of current visibility. The other reason I'm willing to entertain this option is that similar things have already happened in terms of, like, leaks of viruses from labs. Right. This has happened many times before in many other countries, including the U.S. Again, I, I actually feel very agnostic about the situation. It would not surprise me at all if we learn later that this was completely natural. But it also shouldn't surprise you if it turns out to have come from a lab. And of course, even if it did, this wouldn't be any reason to hate China or obviously Chinese people. Again, this has happened many times in the U.S. as well. And the, the whole thing with controlling viruses from getting out, evidently it's even a, the problem is getting worse, a lot of experts are saying. So it's, it's a problem that needs to be addressed everywhere, regardless of whether or not it happened in this case. Notes. So I'm super excited to be interviewing Amir Majidimir of Audio Science Review. And that's going to be on the show within about a week or so. If you have any audiophile questions, please let me know. So we're going to be talking about the rising battle between old school, what he calls subjectivists, which are audiophiles that kind of, they're into like wine tasting notes, but for audio, they're like, oh, this sounds warm and this sounds crisp and this sounds whatever. And it's a battle between that and Amir's objectivists which are like, nope, I don't want to hear about tasting notes and the smell of mahogany in your audio, right? Like you're a sommelier. 
measurement, right? So he has all this gear and he's measuring uh, headphones and DACs and speakers. And uh, he's got a really good pedigree. He's got a degree in electrical engineering. He was at Microsoft running an audio group back in the 80s. And he's just burst onto the scene in the audiophile world. And the traditional audiophiles on these other forums and YouTube, they are freaking out. They're coming at him hardcore, uh, basically saying, you know, you're calling my baby ugly or whatever. And there are a lot of them. And a lot of them have a lot of money. So it's really interesting that you have this guy who's like, nope, like, if you are saying this thing is amazing, send it to me. And I will test it, and I will tell you how good it is, you know, objectively. So what I'm going to be doing is talking to him about this debate between subjectivists and objective views on the audiophile world. And to be clear, he's not an extreme objectivist. He, he's not on one spectrum. And he kind of warns against people going too far. So we're going to talk through that. We're going to talk through the debates that are happening between the different worlds. And I'm going to ask him a bunch of fundamental questions, audiophile questions, from his perspective as a measurement-focused audiophile. So really looking forward to that. And that should be within, you know, a week or two or so. I'm currently reading my friend John Deputnik's book, Atropo, which just released on Audible, which is why I haven't read it yet. Sorry, John. And uh, really enjoying the setup so far. So should check that out. I finished Artificial Intelligence, A Guide for Thinking Humans, which was quite a good summary of where the science has been and where it's going. Kind of reminded me of The Master Algorithm, which was a brilliant overview of all the different attempts to get to AI and where we are and where we're going. And I'm looking to read 2034, A Novel of the Next World War. That one I'll probably get to within a couple of weeks. And this month's UL Book Club book is We Are Legion, We Are Bob, which I am rereading before we convene at the end of the month. And you should definitely come join us. Again, if you sign up, then obviously you get access to the Slack channel where we talk about stuff. We got like 500 members in the Slack channel now, and that's just a small percentage of everyone who's uh, subscribed. And it's just a whole lot of fun. The Slack channel is great. The book club is just continuing to get better and better. And of course, you also get member content if you sign up. So, sound like an NPR commercial. Well, they didn't have commercials, but the NPR member drive. All right. Discovery. Aura ring. So, I've tried a lot of wearables in my time. And other than my watch, I've never really stuck with any of them. Um, with the exception of the Aura Ring, which I am currently wearing and uh, wear it every day and night. This sounds like a commercial. It's not because they're not a sponsor and I've not asked them to be a sponsor. So um, the whole vibe of this section in Discovery is to just show you the coolest stuff that I found. Um, most often it's stuff that I actually use or it's stuff that I'm currently trying. But in this case of Aura, I've been using this for a couple years now. The app is also really good. This next one, I also use the X1 Ultralight Titanium Knife. Um, also not a sponsor. And I don't really need to say that every time because I will tell you if they are. 
Yeah, but this is like my favorite knife for everyday carry because it's actually just a razor blade inside of a really slick titanium housing. So you just slide it up, open Amazon boxes, because that's pretty much all I do with a knife these days. And yeah, you don't have to worry about carrying around a really nice knife and doling the blade, which requires you to sharpen it, which removes blade material, which stresses me out. So that's what I switched over to. Malwarebytes, my go-to anti-malware tool on Windows and Mac, and this one is a supporter of the show. And uh, been recommending this one to everyone for, I don't know, probably a decade or so. Superhuman, my favorite email client. This thing is like $30 a month. Yeah, I don't, the show doesn't get anything from them. It's just, uh, this is my favorite email client. And it is a paid client. I, I wonder how they're doing financially. I hope they're doing well. I hope this client doesn't die. But it's kind of like a lot of their commands are mapped to Vim, but it's just really focused on doing things quickly with the keyboard. That's what I really like about it. Jut. Render Jupyter Notebooks in the Terminal. Next one here, InfoSec Income Questionnaire Version 2 and the responses. Like hundreds, maybe thousands of responses in this thing. I was thinking about doing some data analysis on it around like city, like gender, job title, bunch of stuff like that. Got it open in a tab to mess with. But definitely check it out. And really enjoyed this week's episode of TLDRSEC by Clint Gibbler, uh, especially the closing bit about defeating a grandmaster at chess. You should definitely check it out. And it's time to stop using SMS for anything. Cool article there. And 12 years and 250 hours of exposures to get these images of the Milky Way. Unbelievable images. I'm a low-key astronomy nerd, not practicing, but yeah, really, really love these images. And got a resource here for global ping times. Basically, this country to that country in a matrix. Recommendations. Read more books instead of social media. I made this transition quite a while ago. It's why I read so much. I still do read social media, especially for the show. I have to read a lot. Um, and when I say social media, I just, I guess I kind of mean media now, just anything out there online on the web. And uh, I do get a lot of value from it. It is required for me to do this show, obviously, but it's not as valuable in terms of time spent as reading books. And luckily for the show, I mean, you're getting a lot of the value of the books as well uh, in terms of like what I'm commenting on, what I'm writing for standalone blog posts and stuff like that. So it's coming into the show in other ways. But you as an individual will get more from reading books than from reading a hundred different blog posts. Now, obviously, it could be a bad book and it could be a really great blog post. So the percentages could change. But as a whole, if you spend a, a year reading only online, just random stuff, high quantities of random stuff, versus a year of reading whatever, 10, 20, 30 books, you're going to get way more value from the books. Assuming you're 
choosing halfway decent ones. And if you want any help choosing the books, you could look in this section uh, notes. You could see what I'm reading. You could look at my reading project. You could look at New York Times bestseller list um, or ping me directly to to ask. I mean, uh, I see a lot of people's reading lists. I've got my own, obviously. If you want to talk about books, let me know. But I highly recommend doubling down on books and getting out of the random blogs business. Doesn't mean you have to stop, just change your ratio, right? And the aphorism for the week. When walking in a group of three, there's bound to be someone I can learn from. There will be good quantities that I can imitate and reflect on bad qualities that I can correct in myself. When walking in a group of three, there's bound to be someone I can learn from. There will be good qualities that I can imitate and reflect on bad qualities that I can correct in myself. Confucius. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode. And here's your next podcast.